0: The once powerful kingdom of Rohan is on the verge of extinction. The kingdom of Rohan, which has been attacked repeatedly by armies of orcs, orcs which are an evil race that are, that are bent upon dominating and enslaving human beings and all the free peoples of Middle earth. The orcs have been maliciously attacking the people of Rohan, and now they are massing for one final assault on the kingdom. King Theoden has taken his people, men, women, and children. They've retreated to a mountain stronghold, a mountain fortress called Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep is an impenetrable fortress with only one way in, but unfortunately no way of escape. And things aren't looking good. The orcs have amassed this army that's 10,000 strong. They've put, a, put up these siege works. They are launching a full-scale assault on Helm's Deep. They blow a hole in one of the walls, and so they are streaming in. And as the people of Rohan are battling. They're trying to battle back this sea of orcs that are pouring through. They, they retreat. They fall back. They keep falling back until they reach the central keep, the final place where they're going to make a, a last stand. It looks like the end. looks like they, they're trapped. There's no way out. It looks like it's over. But then dawn comes, and then a dramatic reversal happens. The tables are turned. When dawn comes, army reinforcements mounted on horses led by Gandalf the wizard, they rush in to save the day. So, so these orcs, which had trapped Rohan, now find themselves trapped. The orcs which thought they were going to annihilate the human beings are now getting annihilated. The orcs which thought they were going to triumph are now defeated. One of my seminary professors, Dr. Beale, wrote this book called Redemptive Reversals. In Redemptive Reversals, God takes human wisdom and turns it into foolishness, human strength into weakness, pride into humiliation. But in redemptive reversals, God does the exact opposite for the humble. God lifts up the humble. He gives them wisdom, strength, glory, and might. Helm's deep is how God operates. And like Mary, let's rejoice. Rejoice in the God who lifts up the humble but casts down the proud. Let's rejoice in the God of redemptive reversals. In our passage that we looked at this afternoon, we're seeing the Virgin Mary sing a song of praise called the Magnificat, the song of praise in response to hearing the news of Christmas. Earlier, the angel Gabriel had come to Mary and, and, and told her, hey, don't be afraid. You conceive in your womb Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And when she hears this news, she's, she's floored. She's dumbfounded. She's wondering, how can this be Since I'm a virgin, how can I possibly conceive a child? And the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That probably didn't make that much more sense to Mary, just like the virgin birth, the miracle of the incarnation probably doesn't make that much sense to us. But she responds with faith. She says, I am a servant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. And so that's a reminder that if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, if we are trusting in Christ, reality isn't defined by our own human understanding. Reality is defined by the word of God. And then when she hears this news of the good news of Christmas, the coming of God in the flesh, she sings the Magnificat, a song of praise, a song that I'm going to break down into four different movements beginning with the letter C. Celebration, call, community, and covenant. So four Cs, celebration, call, community, and covenant. So the first C is celebration. Celebration. Let's look at verses 46 and 47, so keep your Bibles open. And Mary said, My soul magnifies The Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So when Mary received the good news of Christmas, her response was to magnify the Lord, to to, to bust out in praise, to rejoice in Him. And church, our lives are busy. Just think about what happened this past weekend. Our lives are busy, especially during the Christmas season. We all feel like we have so much on our plate. Mary had so much on her plate, but she took time to slow down and to reflect and then to praise God for the good news of Christmas. You see, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, wouldn't be complete without worship, without Mary taking the time to glorify God, honor God, and thank God for what he was about to do, which means our lives, church, our lives are incomplete without worship. Has God worked in your life? Has God saved you? Has God rescued you from sin and darkness and death? Has he filled you with his spirit? Has he, has he given you his word? Has he given you new life in Christ? Well, Christmas season is, is a season of celebration, a season for us, no matter what kind of things we're going through, to pause and give thanks to God and to worship him, which is a reminder for us. Do we, do we take time regularly in our lives to to celebrate what God has done for us? Do we do this in our families? Do we do this in our family devotions when we gather together? Do we do this in our personal devotions, the time that we, we set aside simply to hear from God's word, to pray, to remember, to reflect, to read and meditate and memorize God's word? Do we take time to worship? Because celebration centers us. Celebration centers us in the craziness of life. It refocuses us away from all the noise and all the stuff that's going on refocuses us on God. And notice what Mary calls God. He call, she calls God my Savior, my Savior. Mary isn't sinless. Mary's a sinful human being just like you and me. She needs a savior, just like you and me. That means Mary isn't a mediator. She isn't the one who gets us to God because there's only one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And yet, God chose Mary to bear the sinless son of God in the miracle of the incarnation. That's another reason for celebration, that that the perfect God would use imperfect human beings like you and me to carry out his perfect plan. Perfect God, imperfect humans carrying out his perfect plan. Jesus Christ, he didn't parachute into earth down from heaven. God chose Mary, a sinful human being just like you and me for his holy purposes so that Jesus could come. God The God-man could come as a human being, a flesh-and-blood human being, just like you and me. And so Mary worships. She worships. She gives thanks to God. She honors God. This is a God who is so good, so powerful, so awesome that he could even use a flawed human being like her, like you and me, to do his work. So we see celebration. Celebration. The second C is call. The celebration that we see in Mary, it's rooted in God's call on, his, on her life. God's call on her life. Not just the call to save her, we see in verse 47 that Mary calls God my Savior. Not just in the call to save her, but in the call to kingdom work. Let's look at verses 48 and 49. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. He, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. This word looked means taking special notice. Turning one's gaze towards someone. It's not just, I saw a traffic light. Because you see millions of traffic lights. No, you saw those lights flashing. You heard sirens. You saw police cruisers go by, and that grabbed your attention. So notice what grabbed God's attention. It was Mary's humble estate. Humble estate. God could have chosen anyone to be the mother of Jesus, to be the mother of the Son of God. He could have chosen the daughter of a high priest. He could have chosen the daughter of a king a prominent teacher, a scribe, a Pharisee, a political, a religious leader, someone who is somebody with some reputation, with some education, some pedigree. But he didn't. He didn't. He chose someone with no reputation, no education, no wealth, no resume. And friends, that's how God operates. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And that Old Testament background of God turning his special gaze, God looking on the humble of state of his people is found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, 2. All these things my hand has made. This is God. This is the creator God speaking, the one who spoke universes, the universe into existence. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be. But this... This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit. God looks to the one who is humble, who those, who, those who know that they need him. Ever wish, like you and me, that you were someone, or more of a someone, more of a somebody, that you were better known. Better respected, better appreciated, better trained, with a better reputation. Well, in redemptive reversals, if you're humble, if you know that you need God, you know that you're dependent on Him, you know you're weak, you know you're sinful, well, God looks to you. His eye is on you, He knows you, He pays special attention to you. And like Mary, we can celebrate this stunning reality that, that God chose you. God has his eye on you, not because of anything within you, nothing within you. He could have given his salvation to someone who was better educated, better resourced, better privileged, but the better pedigree, but he chose you. He chose me. And in a dramatic reversal, we see it's not the, the daughters of kings and scholars and the influential who are remembered. It's humble and lowly Mary who says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What kind of kingdom work has God called you to do? It might seem small. It might seem insignificant. But if God has called you to it, if by faith you're doing this kingdom work, well, generations to come, eternity to come will call you blessed. Maybe you're called to raise young children, to stay at home. Maybe you're called to homeschool them. Maybe you're called to a kind of kingdom work that doesn't have a lot of glitz, doesn't have a lot of glamour, might be ignored or even ridiculed by this world. But if you persevere in faith, in one day all generations will call you Blessed. This past week, I had the privilege of visiting one of our community groups, the one led by Victor and Eileen Coe. And it was, a, it was a sweet time of fellowship, of encouragement and prayer together. And I left after that meeting with this strong sense from the Lord that what this group was doing, what Victor and Eileen were building, it seems ordinary. It seems ordinary to clean up your house, to move furniture around, to open your home for a, for a meeting. Seems ordinary, but from God's perspective, it's beautiful. It's glorious. It'll last into eternity. It's Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship, which is unnoticed by the world, unimportant by the world, but valued by our great God and will last into eternity. We see celebration is anchored in God's call. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And this celebration is rooted in the fact that it's this God, this God who is mighty, this God who is holy, this God who is infinite in power and majesty and worth, this God is the one who has done great things for you and for me. So like Mary, let's rejoice in the God who lifts up the humble but casts down the proud. Let's rejoice in the God of redemptive reversals. So in this Magnificat, we've seen Mary's celebration. We've seen Mary's call, but we're going to zoom out next. We're going to go to our third C, which is community. Community. This, This song starts with celebration. It reflects on the call, but then Mary looks far beyond herself and her situation, her circumstances. Let's look at verses 50 to 53. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So from generation to generation, from age to age, God does the same thing, which is extend his mercy to those who fear him, but scatters, but destroys those who are proud. So look what God does in redemptive reversal. Verse 51, he scattered the proud. Verse 52, he brought down mighty, Verse 53, the rich are sent away empty, but he gives grace to the humble, to the humble who know that they need him, who depend on him, who know that they're helpless without him. Verse 52, he exalted the humble. Verse 53, he filled the hungry with good things. Things aren't what they appear to be this reversal this turning of the tables is so certain that Luke the writer of this gospel Luke uses the aorist tense in the Greek the aorist tense which is typically translated in English as the past tense the aorist indicates a completed action an action as a as a whole redemptive reversal is a done deal you know the phrase you can't judge a book by its cover Things aren't always what they seem to be. There are good books with bad covers. There are bad books with good covers. Even though we all know this, publishers still spend millions of dollars trying to dress up books. But God takes things to a new level. He teaches us never judge a book by its cover. Never judge a book by its cover. Helm's Deep looks like victory for the orcs but it's actually their place of defeat the proud often they often look like they're winning they got the upper hand they're winning over the righteous and those who are humble but it's only a matter of time that god will turn the tables and reverse things mary looks like someone insignificant from a backwater town But the coming of our Lord, the coming of Christ, the coming of the King of Kings is the most significant event in human history. Things are never what they seem to be. And what God is doing at Christmas with the incarnation, with the sending of Christ, is what God has been doing all throughout redemptive history. Redemptive history, which is the history of redemptive reversals. In the Garden of Eden, that forbidden fruit, the. Fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looks like blessing in life. But it's death and misery. In the days of Noah, the seven-day, the seven-month, the seven-year forecasts all show sunny skies. There's never been a rain, a rain cloud in the sky before. The people are eating and drinking. Until Noah enters the ark and the flood comes and destroys the earth. In the days of Lot, it's business as usual. People are buying and selling and planting and building until the day Lot leaves Sodom and Gomorrah and God rains down fire and sulfur to wipe out those wicked cities. The book of Exodus opens with Pharaoh committing genocide, wanting to murder every single Israelite baby boy. But the section ends with the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn in every Egyptian household and the drowning of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And the book of Esther begins with wicked Haman wanting to plot the extermination of the Jews. But it ends with Haman's own execution and the Jews destroying the enemies who thought that they would be destroying the Jews on that day. And on and on and on. Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. One commentator summarizes it this way In salvation, he always scatters the proud, puts down princes, sends the rich away empty, but exalts the lowly and feeds the hungry. But how about you and me? Maybe you feel like you've got your back against the wall, that you're in a corner with no escape. Maybe you feel like Joseph or Daniel, that you've been unjustly thrown into a pit and your enemies have the upper hand against you. Maybe you're facing difficulty and you don't see an end in sight. Maybe you're facing a particular heartache or loss or trial and you don't know how you'll go on. Maybe you just feel defeated by life and beaten down by the brokenness of this world. Well, God wants to invite you and me into his heavenly throne room to see that things aren't what they seem to be, to remind each one of us never judge a book by its cover and that what looks like your defeat, God is actually turning around into your victory because God works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And even in those situations, situations which simply look like defeat but aren't, situations which look like defeat, like Mary, let's rejoice in the God who lifts up the humble and casts down the proud, the God of redemptive reversals. But maybe you're here this afternoon and you find yourself in the opposite place, that you know God's gifted you. He's blessed you. You've been given much. You've been provided for. Well, humility means that we recognize, we remember that all that we are, all that we have, all that we enjoy is by the grace of God. We didn't work for it, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it. So if you find yourself in that place of of strength and joy and blessing, never forget that we are still weak, sinful, frail human beings that are utterly dependent upon God. Never let the gifts, the good things that God has given to you to enjoy at this moment, moment, never let those gifts blind you to the giver. This brings us to our fourth C, covenant. So we move from community, what God has done throughout redemptive history, throughout the ages, now to the fourth C, to covenant. Let's look at the last two verses in this passage, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In Genesis 12, God made a covenant, a promise to Abraham and later on to the forefathers that God would transform, God would make Abraham into a mighty nation. And through Abraham, all the nations, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed would enjoy all the blessings of God which God had designed for humanity, which were lost at the fall. A covenant is a promise. It's God saying, I will do this. Trust me. I will turn around the curse of Eden. I will turn it into blessing. I will save a people for myself. That means Christmas was God's plan all along. In remembrance of mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, God sent a savior. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant to Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. But you might be wondering how? How would Jesus Christ fulfill that promise first made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? The incarnation, yeah, we see that, okay, God the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He becomes a helpless baby. He needs food, clothing, shelter. We know the Christmas story, and it's a stunning story. We need to reflect on that. We need to remember that Jesus chose. He chose to give up the glories of heaven. He wasn't banished. He wasn't exiled. Nobody forced him to leave the glories of heaven. In love, in love, he took on human form, so that he could secure salvation for each one of us. That means he had, he had to become a human being. He had to become a flesh and blood human being for us so that he could obey for us, so he could live a perfect life for us, so he could fulfill all righteousness, keep all of God's commandments in thought, word, and deed for us. And in love, Jesus would for the joy set before him. Go to his own death at the cross. No one took his life from him. He had the authority to lay it down. He had the authority to take it back up. And he went to his own death at the cross in the the ultimate display of human weakness. Picture Jesus Christ on that cross, beaten, bloodied, bruised, shamed as he hung on that cross and then as he died and as he was buried he looks like he's been defeated looks like he lost it looks like the end but oh my friends it's not the end it wasn't the end what looked like defeat was in fact victory for jesus christ his victory and our victory in him over sin and satan and death it looks like he lost but he won. It looks like the end, but it was actually the beginning of resurrection life. It looked like weakness, but it was actually power as Jesus rose three days later and ascended on high into heaven. It looked like lost hope, but it was actually fulfillment of God's covenant made to Abraham. And the fulfillment of that covenant, that's how it took that unexpected twist The blessing that was promised to Abraham and for all who would be just like Abraham through faith, that blessing promised in God's covenant would come through curse. The curse, through Jesus who would become the cursed one. Galatians chapter three, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, the blessing, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, both Jew and Gentile, people like you and me. So the cross is a climax of what God has been doing all along, humbling the proud, lifting up the humble. Never judge a book by its cover. You might be in your own helms deep right now. You might feel like things are dark and hopeless. But if you're trusting Christ, if you're looking to God, helms deep can only end in your victory, in your exaltation. Dr. Beale summarizes it this way. When believers are facing apparently sure defeat or suffering, they must trust that God will bring victory through defeat and strength through weakness, whether in this world or most certainly in the next. And that is our God, church, a God who brings victory through defeat, a God who brings strength through weakness, a God who brings glory through shame. So like Mary, let's rejoice in the God who lifts up the humble but casts down the proud, the God of redemptive reversals. I'd like to ask Ben and Sasha Heidegren to, be, to come forward. Ben and Sasha are faithful members of this church and faithful servants, and I've asked them to share their testimony of how God has been working in their own lives, how God has been bringing strength and power and victory through their weakness as they have depended on Christ. And after they share their testimony, I'd like for uh, uh, Steve, Stevie and uh, Tim to come forward and we'll, we'll be singing a song of response. Actually, this one? So. so Ben and Sasha, thank you so much for opening up your lives for your vulnerability. We trust that the church will be encouraged about what you have to share.
1: I used to think that power was given to accomplish godly goals in godly ways, and that promises like the one in 2 Corinthians 12:9 and 10, that God's power would be made perfect in our weakness, was to let us know that we would have the capability beyond any earthly limitation to accomplish those goals. And back when, I had goals, and I believed that they were godly, and I believed that I had the power to accomplish them. And then I was taught some very, very hard lessons about goals and power and weakness through the gift of many, many weaknesses given to me. Uh, Some of you may have known bits of my story. Uh, Back in 2011, I was in a very terrible car accident and suffered a massive traumatic brain injury. It took me five years of therapy just to recover a lot of the basic functions that I used to take for granted. And to this day, I still struggle with memory in the day-to-day. I struggle with pain, a headache that, much like Tim's, never goes away. It's always there, and this makes life exhausting. I have to push through pain to go to work. I have to push through pain to take care of my son. I have to push through pain to enjoy time with my wife. And because the accident happened before I could graduate college and receive my Marine Corps commission, we have some economic limitations due to the fact that it's often very difficult for me to find work.
2: Um, I've also had the opportunity to learn lessons about weakness. Uh, When I was 22, I started experiencing a lot of symptoms that seemed very strange for my age. Um, I saw an extreme drop in my energy level, I felt very mentally foggy, Um, I had a lot of unexplained pain that was enough to affect my day-to-day life, Um, so I started going to doctors. And uh, as they did different tests, I learned that I had a bunch of severe deficiencies and random symptoms that seemed unrelated to each other. For instance, lab work showed that I had arthritis, which for that age was very strange. I started having trips to the emergency room as different things went wrong, like a fever that wouldn't break for a week. Um, I was finding myself physically unable to get out of bed at times. So after about a year, an infectious disease Specialist ran tests and I learned that an autoimmune disease called Lyme that I'd been diagnosed with as a teenager had worsened significantly and was kind of wreaking havoc. Um, for those who don't know, an autoimmune disease is an illness uh, where your body basically interprets your own cells as foreign and begins to attack them. So after this, I received treatment and I improved somewhat. I'm not in as bad a place as I had been, but Um, Things have definitely never been the same. Um, I have flare-ups on a regular basis, and during those times I definitely experience a lot of extreme fatigue and pain. So before all of this happened, I lived my life as a person who was relatively bound by wanting to have validation from other people. Um, I've focused a lot on keeping up appearances and tried to meet other people's expectations. And even though I didn't realize it at the time, I really wasted a lot of energy trying to make myself valuable apart from Christ. So when I got sick and all this happened, uh, the lie of self-sufficiency really went out the window. Um, I was suddenly spending most of my time in survival mode, and I did not even have the energy to pursue goals for selfish reasons. Um, I needed God's help to do what used to be the bare minimum in my mind. And if I was seeking God for help, that meant that I really had no choice but to strive to align my priorities with his. So I had to do a lot of reevaluation of my motivations. So I wish I could say that I've arrived and I never struggled with self-sufficiency again, which is not true, but um, I definitely, it doesn't take long to get to the point where I'm realizing it's futile and, and go back to God and um, just appreciate that every good thing in my life is a gift from him. So when we were living, because I think we both had that tendency, when we were living in self-sufficiency, we did things often for our own glory, even if we didn't realize it. Um, We valued ourselves on our successes like they were ours, Uh, but now that we're forced to admit that we're weak and we can't hide it, uh, we can easily give God the glory for every gift and for everything he allows us to do.
1: God in his kindness taught us and often must remind us of the truth that his perfect gifts of power are always enough to accomplish the goals that he has for us, not necessarily the goals that we have for ourselves. And the times that we feel weak are not limitations to being who we are meant to be and doing what we are meant to do, which is to glorify and enjoy God in every circumstance. And those times of weakness are some of the most beautiful moments of obedience, glory, and delight in this life. There is something intensely powerful about God taking our pains and weaknesses and not removing them, but turning them into glories like Alex just preached. Just like in a similar way, though smaller in our parts, Jesus' own weakness and suffering in the cross was the deepest glory of all. With this truth in mind, we have found God's perfect power in every weakness— There is power to glorify and enjoy God when we have to leave gatherings early due to extraordinary exhaustion. There is power to glorify and enjoy God when we have to choose between using our energy between taking care of the house and taking care of each other. There is power to glorify and enjoy God when we finally save up the time and money to get away together and our days are spoiled by flare-ups of pain. These are still disappointments and sorrows, but there is always, always, always the power to glorify and enjoy Please remember when your weaknesses arise that no weakness or pain can ever stop God's power in your life to be who God intends you to be and do what God intends you to do. Thank you.